Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 137. Hey, this is Allie Boone from Hipster Investments. And if you want to invest in good relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but First, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. I'd love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Ali Boone. Ali is a lifestyle entrepreneur, business consultant, and real estate investor. She left her corporate nine to five job as an aerospace engineer to follow her passion for being her own boss and creating the ultimate freedom for herself. She went from being on food stamps in her first year of entrepreneurship to facilitating over $18 million in real estate transactions in her first five years of business. Ali also teaches flying and can often be found snowboarding 
or volunteering in prisons. Her ultimate goal is to one day challenge Tim Ferriss to a lifestyle design duel. Allie, welcome to the show. Super, super stoked to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now? Hey, great to be here. Even hearing my own bio, I was, I was kind of feeling shy. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh man, we're, we're talking a lot about me very quickly. Um, <laughs> What am I most excited about right now? Well, I have my company. I'm sure we'll talk about that. My real estate investing company. It's been in business for about six years now. But to be quite honest, it's so sturdy that I've been kind of getting in some newer, exciting things. One being business consulting, which I really, really just love doing. I kind of go in and people who already have a business and something's not working. So I get to bring back my old engineering brain and dig out all the pieces and try and refit the pieces together in the puzzle. And it's really cool. So I'm really pumped about that. And well, you actually mentioned my bio. I, it's totally off track, but I volunteer in prisons all the time now. And truly, if I could get paid to do that, I would probably make it my only thing, but it just makes me beyond happy. So those two things are putting pretty big smiles on my faces these days. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely take a deeper dive into some of those things. But right now, let's go ahead and go back, rewind the clock here. Walk us through what your life looked like heading into your career as far as like, was this something that you wanted to do even from the time that you were in high school and then going into college and obviously getting the engineering degree and all that kind of stuff? Was that something that you just felt like you had to do or something that you really wanted to do? And then when you started working, why did you stop working there? Yeah. Great question. So... The engineering and all that was at the time I thought I wanted to do that, but it it was more based on the what I should be doing. I very much grew up in the business kind of family where it's like get the straight A's, get the good grades, go to college, get the high paid, secure job, yada yada yada, mm-hmm. which I did. And I originally started flying airplanes, and so I thought I wanted to be a pilot. And I transferred colleges to get a pro pilot degree. And when I got there, I started thinking, hey, wait a minute, if I get a degree in pro pilot, and I ever want to not be a pro pilot you know, what does that leave me? And I could do all my flight training on the side. So I thought, huh. And I knew pilots didn't get paid a whole lot. And the two things that I knew as a youngster, and I didn't know it would pan out how it did, but number one, I wanted to make a lot of money. And number two, I was pretty freakishly independent and me listening to anyone really was not really kind of my thing. Hmm. So when I, in support of that money idea, I knew if I started being, if I was a pilot, I wasn't going to make much. And I thought, huh, well, if I'm going to get a degree that might be more useful or transferable, what could I do? And I was like, wait a minute, engineers can make a lot of money. And I'm sure it's the same thing as flying. And as it turned out, it absolutely is not anything like flying <laughs> at all. But I didn't know that at the time. So I switched my major, went to engineering. That was undergrad. And then I got into grad school. I got a master's in aerospace engineering, still thinking this is just you know, what I should be doing. And I'm sure I'll love it. And I'm sure I'll make great money. And I just could sooner ram my face into a wall of concrete. Like I really, I have engineering tendencies, no doubt, but I just was not an engineer. And through grad school, I was flight instructing. So my office was the sky and I was teaching people to fly. And it was the coolest thing on the planet. And here I get this engineering job and I walk into my cubicle for the first time and it was all gray, all drab. It was under this mile long tunnel. And I was just like, Oh God. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, from the first 30, I don't even think it took 30 seconds for me to think, Oh, I don't, I don't think this is going to work. I even looked at my outfit and I was like, I even look like an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I stuck with engineering. I felt proud of myself. I tried, I tried a few different positions. I wanted to make sure it was not a fit, yeah, but all the while I was absolutely looking 
anywhere for anything to get me out of that and to change paths. And truly where I am now, you couldn't have paid me a million dollars to guess this is how it would turn out. But through the exploration, through networking, through meeting people, through exploring different options, it's it's kind of where I landed. And it's it's like I'm a whole new person now. And I look back at my high school self and young self, and I call her the left brain self. Like I only had a left brain back then. It was math and you know, all that kind of stuff. And now things are just so different. And, you know, I think it's kind of part of growing up as you start to learn what is actually you versus what the world told you was you. Right, right. So let's kind of dissect that a little bit, because I think that your position before is a position that a lot of people find themselves in through whatever it may be, through society, through culture, through family, different pressures, things that tell them that they should be a certain way. So they do all of that the way that they're supposed to, and they go to school and they get the degree, mm-hmm. and then they do the exact same thing that you did. They get to their job day, day, day number one or week number one or year number one. Very soon in their career, they realize, oh my gosh, is this what I'm going to have to do like every yeah. single day for the next 40 years? That's depressing, yep. right? <laughs> but the funny thing is a lot of people don't take action on that. Right. A lot of people just go, well, that's just what I'm supposed to do. And then they end up living for the weekends, right? right. And then they pinch pennies and save and, and then spend their entire 40-year career at this firm. And, and then they retire with no money and all this other stuff, right? So... This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane so they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day which is why indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Why do you think that you were different in that? Why do you think that it was like something where you're like, hey, I need to figure something else out ASAP? Yeah. Well, I think I was actually really fortunate in that regard because I have this thing inside of me and it's been there since I was a kid that absolutely demands freedom. And 
happiness. Like I remember as a kid thinking, I think my only goal in life is to be happy. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time, but Mm. I want to be happy and I'm huge on freedom. Like I just, I just start disintegrating. If anyone tries to put rules on me, it was hard as a kid growing up and having restrictions and all that kind of stuff. And I think I'm fortunate to have that strong of a drive because that's, I didn't have a choice. Like I, I don't know what would have happened had I just given up on it, but you know, and I don't know that everyone necessarily has that strong a drive. So it's, it really is, it's your priorities. Like if you don't do it, that's totally cool, but it's obviously not as important as the complacency Right. So how then? So if you are in the position and you're like, I definitely want to do something about this, but I'm not really sure what I should do. And you don't want to be the guy that like quits being an engineer and then has to move back in with like your mom and dad when you're 27, (laughs) you know, because like you gave up on your career and you just want to do something that you're quote unquote passionate about and whatever. Right. Like, so how do you do it in a smart way? So I think looking back on how I did it, I think I did it a very smart way. I didn't even mean to do it that way, but I would absolutely (laughs) recommend my method if I were to coach someone through this is I literally spent five years just researching and exploring because I didn't know, I didn't have a specific trade that I could offer someone or a specific product or skill or whatever. So I I knew nothing. I was starting at ground zero. And it was really a big bummer because my family's all in business. I have an aunt who's a big investor and I kept going to them. I was like, guys, how do I do this? And they're all like, um, I was like, how am I not getting help from family? So somehow I didn't get help from them. And I just started reading books. I just, I found authors that I resonated with. I was like, oh, this guy is speaking my language. I need to know more. Hmm. And So I really, that my exploration phase truly lasted a long time. And in that exploration phase, I would try small things. I would try things and I just, I was not quitting. And then when you were still working as an engineer during this time. Yeah. And I hope none of my old bosses ever listen to any podcast I ever do. Cause I kind of fess up to the fact I really never did any work. Like it was a fun challenge for me because I was so bored doing it. I would find ways to make myself sound really productive in the weekly staff meetings. To this day, I have no idea what, how I ever came up with anything. Cause I really didn't do a whole lot. Like in five years, I did maybe, maybe six months of hard work total. I don't know. It was, it was pretty bad. I feel bad if they even ever hear this. <laughs> I wasted a lot of their money, but well, it wasn't yeah. their money. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was actually the government's money. So that's cool. Yeah. So it's technically your own money. It's all right. Money. I was only wasting my own tax dollars. So I like, I really like how you think <laughs> you and I might get along very well. Yeah. And so I tried different things. And when things started kind of revealing themselves and working out, I kept on with my engineering job as long as I possibly could to try and build as much of my real estate business as possible to try and get some income. So I didn't just drown myself immediately. And and I quit a little preemptively because I was working in top secret world and I didn't have access to unclassified computers for towards the end of it. I, I was having a hard time doing anything because I didn't have access to it. So I eventually just had to quit and I would have liked to have saved a better nest egg when I did it and not completely sent myself into a panic. But like I said, it was a few years that, you know, and it's really just... I think it's about taking the time to explore, gaining some self-awareness, seeing what really fits. And then once you're in it, really working with other people and networking and finding mentors and finding those people, because I feel like so many people try and do this by themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what can drown people. And I never had that mindset. I was like, my God, if somebody wants to help me or give me information, bring it. And that is truly how I got where I am because I let other people help me. So really just kind of leaning on other people who are doing it or who can Mm -hmm. offer support. 
but the biggest thing about this is patience though, right? I mean, yes. you spent a long time, like we're talking years here of yeah. exploration during that time. Yeah. But the cool thing is that like, if you didn't keep that job during that exploration phase, your exploration would have been much, much less efficient, right? Because you yeah. didn't, you wouldn't have been able to like support yourself or have money coming in or have yeah. a paycheck on Friday. So like yeah. you were able to do a lot of exploration that became a lot more efficient exploration because yeah. of how you did it. Instead of just saying like, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm going to quit right now. And I, yeah. I think it's, yeah, a lot of people have a tendency to do that. And myself included, once you get fed up with something, you're just like, this is stupid. I'm not doing it anymore. Right. Instead of realizing the value that there could be in hanging on a little bit longer and disciplining yourself to do something that you don't want to do for a little bit so that you can do whatever yeah. you want to do in you know a little bit in the future. So um, Yeah. And I think I'd say this phrase to myself almost every day is it really is slow and steady wins the race because you need the time to build the foundation. Because if you just dive into things, you don't know if it's really a fit. You don't know all these things. So if you can just build those little blocks and just take mm -hmm. the time. And I, patience is such a key word. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And truly, I think if I had done it, if I had quit much sooner, the only thing I really would have been exploring is a deep, dark hole of Right. <laughs> I don't think that would have been helpful in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's just a great point to bring up. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then once you find the thing, then now it's at the point where it's like, I think there's a balance between, you know, slow and steady win, wins the race for some people because they hold on to that and just Absolutely. pretend like their lack of success is just like, well, you know, slow and steady wins the race. So just yeah. to clarify, that is not what Ali's talking about here. Absolutely. Yeah. He that is a huge clarification, about, yeah. especially me being in real estate investing. We always hear of analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis or whatever it is. Yeah. There's absolutely a line where at some point you're just hanging on too long. Like you right. have to start trying things. Success you just have to find speed. that balance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Totally. Totally. And you have to ride that momentum wave sometimes. But yeah, when it comes to the whole exploration phase, like for sure, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Just chill for a second. I think a lot of times as younger people, since we have such a small perspective on life itself, as far as like all we know up to this point is like going to school right? Yeah. So like you go to school and then you get out and now you have like two years of life experience. So yeah. when you think about waiting like three more years, you're like, that's more than double my current life experience. Uh -huh. And it seems like this just impossible amount of time. But in the grand scheme of things, when you look on like an 80 year life, like that's a really, really, really small amount of time yeah. to do some real exploration and find out what you want to do. So yeah. you start getting into real estate investing. How did that happen? And tell me about your first deal as far as like, were you the one that found the deal? How did you fund the deal? Was it your money? Did you use other people's money? How did that look like? Yeah, good ones. <laughs> it was actually funny because like I said, I had been doing this exploration thing for a few years and I knew I either had to start a business or get into real estate. I didn't know what either of those looked like, but I knew of everyone talking, those were the two ways out of a corporate job. Mm -hmm. And what I realized part of the way into my exploration is that I was still exploring too many things because by looking at everything, I wasn't able to start getting deeper on any one thing. And so I kind of woke up with this realization. I was like, Oh, I've got to, I have to pick something. Like I have to stop looking at everything and I've got to pick which way I'm going to go. I'm going to be flexible, but I've got to pick something and start in on it. So I decided to start a business and I didn't even know what I was going to start, but my family has been involved in self-storage facilities. I was like, Oh, well, I'm sure I'll just, I'll find a self-storage facility. I'll find some way to do it, blah, blah, blah. So I finally, after probably three years or so, make this decision. I put my foot down. I was like, it is business. Here I come. And I was so bored of my job that I was subscribed to a gazillion newsletters and webinars and whatever. And about a week later, 
in pops this totally random email from a real estate something or another. And it has this advertisement for a webinar on beachfront bungalows in Nicaragua starting at $99,000. And if you tell me anything off the beaten path or anything Mm -hmm. adventurous or anything rebellious, I am so in. And I was like, oh my God, what could rattle people's feathers more than saying I'm dealing in Nicaragua? (laughs) After I figured out where Nicaragua was, I realized I was like, well, I'm going to watch the webinar. And I had recently before that explored some rental properties in Orange County, California, and Mm -hmm. the prices were absurd. So then seeing $99,000, I was like, hey, I could buy something for $99,000 and I love the beach. I'll watch the webinar. And I really went into watching this webinar having no thought whatsoever that anything would ever come of it. It sounded absurd, like whatever. Mm -hmm. I watched the webinar and it sounded really good. And I was like, huh. So my interest was peaked and I reached out to the guy and I said, you know, and I was still kind of this mindset like, oh, everything in real estate investing is a scam. I'm a girl. I'm especially going to get scammed. Like, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. Let's, let's see how far I can take them. Like, again, it was more like, what can I challenge type of thing? Mm-hmm. So I reached out to the guys and they respond amazing. And I was like, well, I have some questions secretly in my head thinking, I'm going to prove this wrong. I'm going to blow it out of the water. Right. And so one of the guys says, well, one of my business partners actually lives in Los Angeles. He'd be happy to meet you in person. And I thought, what a great opportunity to blow it out of the water in front of them and make them feel stupid. Like, how fun <laughs> is this going to be? And I went to this meeting with this guy. I had one of the contracts for the bungalows printed out. I had, we always make fun of my red line questions. I mean, I tore this contract up and the guy that I sat with, he just very calmly, never in a sales way. He just, he answered all the questions. And when we were done with it, I was like, oh, he answered them all really good. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, now what? Like, yeah, yeah. So my very first intentional investment, I had bought a house for myself before a couple of years ago. My very first intentional investment was a beachfront bungalow in Nicaragua (laughs) for $99,000. And it was pre-construction. And it was really cool as a new investor because I think it was 60% seller financed or something like that. So part of it was seller financing, which was huge. Mm -hmm. And then I came up with the down payment. I think it was like $30,000. So I guess 70% seller financing. And I did that with a mix of my own money. I think I had an interest-free credit card for a second. Like It wasn't a huge stretch. I didn't go crazy with it, but Mm -hmm. I bought that and... I later bought another home site that was going to be on the golf course. And I, and the cool thing is I got to go to Nicaragua. I went to Nicaragua five times in a year and a half and I pursued these deals. And this is where I really started meeting people and the real estate people and people who had minds like mine and who wanted the same things. And that really started the ball rolling for the rest of my life. And sadly, the Nicaraguan bungalow never panned out. The development went belly up. So my Mm -hmm. first investment was the coolest thing on the planet and also a huge failure. So, And then I, through meeting those guys, they were also involved in some stateside properties that I ended up getting involved with. So in my first 18 months of investing, I bought five properties, primarily with different variances of creative financing. And that Mm -hmm. started my real estate investing career, which then turned into a business later. Yeah. And I asked that because I like that term creative financing because there's a lot of people that 
there's a lot of people that just come up with excuses for everything, right? right? Like there's a reason they can't do this or they can't do that. And it's like, well, I have bad credit. Well, I, you know, don't have any cash. Like I can't just start buying properties. I can't just start it. Like I can't do these things because right. I don't have this and that. And that person has that and that's great for them, but I can't do it because of X, Y, and Z. Right. So I like that creative financing because it basically takes something that you think is out of reach because of whatever reasons you're telling yourself because of bad credit or because no cash or capital at all. And then completely dispels them as a real valid reason to not do something. So talk about what some of those options were and then how building relationships with people helped you get access to funds in order to be able to start making some money with real estate. Yeah, totally. And you know, I love what you're saying. And one of the first things that my mentor taught me when I was getting into my business and real estate and everything is he said, if you really want something, never ask if you can do it. Ask, how can you do it? Because if you want it that bad, the question is not whether or not it's feasible. It's how can you make it happen? Because you can make anything happen. Mm -hmm. How are you going to do it? So from that point on, that really stuck with me. And even today, I'm like, okay, how can I make this happen? And when you change just such slight phrasing, it really changes the course of everything. So Let's see. I think the the first two properties, the Nicaraguan properties were primarily my own creative financing. I didn't use a lot of people for it. Like it was a mix of either credit cards or like, I think something about my 401k, I could pull some money out or, you know, and I was trying to be pretty smart about it because there's always the danger. You know, there's always a balance with everything. Don't grab a bunch of credit cards that are going to turn into 40% interest and (laughs) think that you're making a good deal. It's not going to work, but I found some pretty good deals with credit cards and all that stuff and then my own savings account. And then after that, I actually had a really good friend of mine who had heard me start talking about this real estate stuff. So I went down, he actually met me in Atlanta is where I bought my first property. And I said, you know, I just kind of made a comment to him. I said, you know, I have $10,000 to put down on this, this one, but then how do I scale that? Like, how do I buy another one if I don't have another $10,000? And he kind of came up to me and said, you know, I like these properties. He said, I'd be willing to go in on them with you. And so I was like, wait, really? And so I had actually done some networking before and I had talked to people about partnering and I had some ideas of how you can bring on a partner and numbers and all that kind of stuff. And so him and I really coordinated and I, I always throw out investing with friends or family can be very dangerous on so many levels, legally, relationship wise, whatever. So I don't encourage everyone to just run out and ask their best friend to partner on something like this. I'm very fortunate in that him and I are still partners on the properties we went on together. We're still great friends. He's very much a silent partner. He's very chill. I'm always looking out for him. So we have a very unique situation that I am excited about. But you know, to say not everyone's going to be that easy. So legal contracts need to be in place, partnership agreements, whatever. But yeah, So in that time, there was the partnering on the finances to buy these properties. But in the midst of all of this was really that networking component that you're talking about. And essentially, those became business partners of mine because I got so daggum excited about all these properties. I was just... I was like a natural salesperson. I didn't even mean to be. I was just like, oh my God, I got this thing. It was so cool. And oh my God, like, oh man, I got this money this month. And everyone's like, what are you doing? What are you buying? And meeting people, I started meeting people both on the selling side, like who became eventually my business colleagues and everything. Mm-hmm. But also people who were wanting to buy and invest in what I was investing in because I was so excited about it. And so my company now, I'm basically a glorified matchmaker. I match buyers and sellers. And it's because 
that all started with networking because I was meeting people on both sides. And yeah, it, I mean, it was just huge. So you personally aren't flipping any properties now? It's just like a diff, like a concierge service almost? Oh, I never thought about it like that. But yeah, we're, oh, that's a fun one. I'll have to throw that into our <laughs> marketing material. Like, yeah. hey, uh, concierge service. Yeah, I've actually never flipped. So one of the things I was excited okay. about what I was doing is when I got into real estate, one of my biggest holdups was I knew I had the smarts to flip if I wanted to, but Mm -hmm. it just was kind of like a swimming upstream kind of thing. Like I didn't really want to swing a hammer. Like I just wasn't connecting with it. Mm -hmm. And the properties that I ran into are called turnkey rental properties. And these turnkey providers, they go out, they negotiate the deals, they find the distressed properties, they rehab it, they put tenants in and they have property managers on standby. So you literally buy this property that's cash flowing on day one and you don't have to do any work outside of just basic due diligence, managing the manager type of thing. And that's what I had gotten so excited about and what people hadn't heard about. They're like, wait, I don't want to swing a hammer, but I want real estate too. What are you buying? So I went down the turnkey route for a long time and... I still am a huge advocate of turnkeys, but I stopped buying after I quit my job just because I lost my mortgage ability. But more recently, some partners and myself bought a duplex local to me in Venice Beach, and I'm currently the landlord on it. And for years, I have preached about not being a landlord because it's so exhausting. And now I'm affirming every one of those things. (laughs) I'm like, I am exhausted. And like the list of random things that can happen, I'm like, how is this even possible? But it's been a really cool contrasting experience to what I'm used to. But my whole premise in life and business and investing and everything is I want to do as little work as possible for the most amount of money. And I anything that goes contrary to that, I really kind of send down the toilet because I just, yeah. it's not my, I don't want another job. The whole point of quitting my corporate job in the first place was so I didn't have to have a job. Right. So yeah, I prefer time on the beach, snowboarding, skiing, hanging out in prison, you know, all those things. So this is a question I ask everybody that comes onto the show. I want to ask you some more questions about real estate just because it's a something that I really like doing and it's something that I'm interested in. But since the Boja Network podcast and we're running out of time, I got to ask a couple of quick questions about that before I let you go. Do you believe, Ali, that what you know or who you know is more important and why? It's a pretty close one. I would almost say it's more important in who you know, because you don't have to know that much if other people around you know those things for you. I would also throw a third option in there that what you don't know can also hurt you. So it's kind of what you know, what you don't know, and who you know. So I, because you can't always know what you know or what you don't know, say that three times fast. I think the importance is really with the people around you because they're the ones who are going to fill the gaps for what you don't have, fill your weaknesses, whatever it's going to be. Well, you've talked several times already on the show about a mentor, somebody that guided you through the process, right? So you read a bunch of books, you went through a big discovery phase and you got a lot of what, but in the end, if you didn't have that mentor, how far behind do you think that you would have been? Oh, I'd probably be back at my engineering job. Like if for no other reason other than the guidance factor, the sanity roller coaster of entrepreneurship is quite drastic in a lot of cases. And there were several times I was just ready to jump off the cliff and he would reel me back. You know, he kind of became a therapist on top of a mentor. And had that not happened, I would have quit easily 17 times beforehand. So yeah. And you know, even before I met him in person, my mentors essentially were the authors of the books that I was reading. Like Right. I'm a big advocate of not reinventing the wheel. Like everyone needs to develop their own beliefs and their own skills and whatever. But if people before you have already done it and done it successfully, why would you not piggyback off of that? Because otherwise you're going to spend your whole life trying to create something that 
a ton of people have already created. So yeah, it's, it's in the people, even the more yeah. that we're talking about it for sure. Yeah, totally. That's why I like to bring it up because when I ask the question, it's always kind of like a, Oh, that's interesting. And, <laughs> and then it's so funny to listen to people because like they'll talk themselves into the yeah. who, like yeah. while they're answering the question, uh, kind of similar. I mean, you answered it first and then kind of went into it and then became more convinced of it. But some yeah. people are like, I think it's a balance of the two. And they'll start talking about why. And then yeah. they'll get down to it and be like, actually, I'm going to change my answer. It's, it's who, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you start talking about it and you really do realize that like that is where the majority of your time should be spent. Well, and technically, if you think about it, you could actually get away with knowing almost nothing and create an empire. Because if, you, if all you know is how to get the people to do different things, you don't have to know anything. It's fantastic. Plus, being around the people who do know is the fastest way to get to know things, in my yeah. opinion. Like you, yeah. like, and you can read 20 books on it, but if you're like working day to day with a guy who has been doing it for 30 years and made millions yeah. and millions of dollars, then you're going to learn it way, 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 way faster. Oh my, like, like yeah. Taking and I will, I will throw a caveat into that is one thing I run into now is because so many people are accessible, basically you can go on the internet and any fool and their mother can be telling you what should and shouldn't happen or <laughs> like, oh, I'm this experienced real estate flipper and I've been here for 30 years, but you have no idea if he's legit. Right. You don't know what he's telling you. So one of my biggest phrases in life, my favorite thing, and I live by it daily, is don't take advice from people you wouldn't trade shoes with. Yeah. Because you need to be able to sift through how many voices are speaking these days. Because that's why I like hard copy books. I'm not a huge internet person. I like hard copy books because those authors have some level of credibility. And I find one author who says things that resonate with me. And so I study more of what he's saying because I would trade shoes with him. Whereas who's the guy, the big budget money guy, non-real estate, non-leveraging. Dave Ramsey. Yes. So Dave Ramsey, I think is fantastic for a lot of people. I think he has some solid principles and just, I think he's super credible. But for me personally, I don't jive with anything he says. I don't like it. I'm a Robert Kiyosaki person. So mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Dave Ramsey, do your thing. I encourage a lot of people to listen to him, mm -hmm. but he didn't resonate with me. So I'm going to go find someone who does. So really be careful and, you know, absolutely use everybody else, but also be a little bit diligent in who you're finding also. Cause there's just a lot of people talking these days. But let's go ahead and move on now. Last segment, something I like to call the random round, just a few really okay. quick, random questions with some quick, random answers. You ready? Yep. This is the random round. What profession other than your own, do you think it would be fun to attempt? Oh my God. I'm sure like, I don't know how to surf, but like being a surf instructor or something, anything like in the Caribbean or maybe I could, oh my God, I could run a tiki hut on a Caribbean Island. Like that would truly be my next jam for sure. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Ooh, I've never had a lot of people that I really trying to think of any authors, anybody. Can I come back to you on that one? Yeah. It's going yeah. to hit me. Yeah. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Absolutely. Easily books. I suck at podcasts or anything on audio. I can't, I don't hear for some reason. I have no idea. I can't, I hear nothing. So I have to, I'm very visual <laughs> and I like hard copy books because I keep them around. Like they're my Bibles. Like I, they're, I reference them and I, I don't even like electronic books. I'm pretty hardcore old school. What is a book that you'd recommend for the audience to read? 
Oh, how do I pick one? I have a favorite real estate book, a favorite business book, and a favorite life book. Pick one. Which one do you want? I'll tell you. Let's do life. Life. I love The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. It's a big fat book. And I think it's got like 100 or 101 life principles. And I, I really, they have proven true in my life. I love Jack Can. I would sit with Jack Canfield on a bench. I knew it would come to me. I would absolutely sit <laughs> with Jack go. Canfield. <laughs> We're going to give a shout out to Jack. And yeah, that book really, it just, it's such a simple way to implement powerful, powerful principles that can be applied to business, real estate, life, relationships, whatever. So that's my recommendation. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh God, that's so embarrassing. You know, my, <laughs> my morning routine, I'm a huge sleeper inner. That may be the biggest joy since starting my own company is sleeping in. So I typically wake up when my body wants to wake up, assuming I'm not, I don't have plans. My dog has usually come into the bed. So me and the dog wrestle or keep sleeping or I let, it takes me a while to get out of bed. So I'm either playing with the dog, zonking back out. And quite often when I wake up, I tend to watch an episode of my soap opera before I do anything intelligent. Or <laughs> some days I do a midday workout. So I just eat breakfast and I get, I head out to go do a workout and get that out of the way. I know it doesn't sound like a very productive morning, but it really works for me. <laughs> hey, whatever works, whatever works. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, pump up song, any rock song from the eighties or I'm such an oldies, sixties, seventies and eighties are my jam. But if I wanted true pump up, I would do like twilight zone from the eighties from golden earring, any of the eighties rock. I used to play rugby. So we always had pump up songs to like get us riled up and rowdy and whatever before a match. So yeah, it was eighties. What is something that you were just not very good at? Details. I hate them. And I, hence why engineering <laughs> didn't go very far for me. <laughs> I'm big picture all the way. As we get everything wrapped up here, Allie, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most? Well, I write for Bigger Pockets, which is a real estate investing website. You can always find me there. But my company's website is hipsterinvestments.com. And if you really want me quickly and to even just say hi or anything, you can always email me directly, Ali, A-L-I, at hipsterinvestments.com. That's by far the fastest way to get to me and I can give you any content you want, anything. So so please reach out to Allie, take her up on that offer. I mean, if you are looking for mentorship, if you're in the situation she was in, just reach out, ask a few questions. You ever know what can come from Allie. Thank you so much for coming to the show. I had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was super fun. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's BYN n.media forward slash fb remember you're only one connection away everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price ba-da-ba-ba-ba